Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, if you would, verse chapter 12, to begin with. Jeremiah chapter 12. We're going to continue uh, the message from this morning, a little different, from a little different perspective. We'll get back into Habakkuk in just a moment. But in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse number 1, uh, it appears that Jeremiah had some of the same kind of thoughts that Habakkuk had. And, uh, and we see it very clearly in his statement at the beginning of chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse number 1, Jeremiah says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Jeremiah says, you know, Lord, you, you know me and you know what's going on in my heart, but, uh, but I'm, I have a concern. I, I, I want to know about your judgments. You, you said that you'll judge evil. And yet he says, how is it that those who are wicked end up prospering? Those who do not love you, those who do not care about serving you, those who are not concerned about doing the right thing, they have goals and desires and, and the efforts they, they, they make are toward achieving the wrong thing, and yet it seems like they prosper. And, uh, and then for those who are Christians, sometimes we look at it and say, Lord, I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm not perfect but I'm doing my best to try to do everything I'm supposed to do, and yet it seems like I'm really struggling. But those people that are doing evil, how come, they're, how come they prosper the way they do? And then he says, Wherefore are all, they that, are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Um, you know, the truth is, we as believers ought to be happy. Even when things aren't going well, we still ought to be happy. But yet it seems sometimes like those that are, that are very much involved in that which displeases the Lord are much happier than those who are trying to do the right thing. Well, that's kind of, kind of what Habakkuk was saying with, uh, with what we read this morning. So turn back to the book of Habakkuk. And, uh, and again, we're in, in chapter one. I, I want to, just uh, do a very quick review of what we looked at this morning. Then we're going to come to chapter 3 and uh, look at some things that are very specific. But the book begins with Habakkuk expressing the same concern that I just shared with you from Jeremiah. Lord, how long is it going to be before you judge these people? They're doing wrong. They're not, they're not pleasing you. How, how long is it going to be before you are exercise your judgment? And, um, and the Lord responds to them in verse 5, and he says, all right, you want an answer? I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to do something that you won't believe. It's going to be astounding in its scope. And then he tells them that the Chaldeans are going to come and take them captive. And, and he is going to judge the people of Israel using the Chaldeans. Well, in verse number 12, we see Habakkuk's response to that, and he's not very happy about what God has told him. 
He says in verse number 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, we don't want to die. We just want you to judge people to clean things up. We shall not die, O Lord. But thou hast ordained them, speaking of the Chaldeans, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, uh, um, and Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He said, Lord, it doesn't, I, I, I think Israel needs to be judged, but not by somebody who's worse than Israel is. I mean, not, not by those who are more wicked than Israel is. Uh, why would you use them to judge Israel? But God had said that the Chaldeans were going to take them into captivity, and that's exactly the way it happened. You get over into chapter 2, and, and, uh, and, and Habakkuk has pleaded with the Lord not to do that, and then he, then he says, um, I will stand upon my watch and set thee upon the tower, set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. And then verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me. And when the Lord answered, then things began to change in Habakkuk's mind. Because he began to see things from a little different perspective. And, uh, and God gave him a responsibility. He said in verse number 2, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets or tables that he may run that readeth it. Verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So he says to him, I want you to write this down, what I'm going to show you. You're going to see it in the vision. It's, it's very much like when, when uh, John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and the Lord said, what I tell you, write. And John began to write. And we got the book of Revelation as a result of that. So the Lord said to Habakkuk, write this down. And then he goes on to explain exactly what's going to happen and who's going to do it and, and, and his plan, his vision. Verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We talked about that this morning, what that meant. Two kinds of people, sinners and saints. They're different. Sinners are condemned. Saints are converted. Uh, sinners have no security. Saints have security. Sinners are bound for hell. Saints are bound for heaven. Uh, sin, sin, sinners are... are uh, are unrighteous saints are righteous because of what Christ has done for them. Uh, they're, they're very distinct. But the primary difference is that a saint has a God who's in control. And he knows it, and he should be living by faith, trusting that God, knowing that God is in control. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen because we know that the Lord is in control. He's the one that's going to do His will He's going to accomplish his purpose by his power, and, uh, and, and we don't have to worry about it. 
Our, our future is secure. We're going to be okay because the Lord's going to take care of us. He's in control. We live by faith. And we can have peace in our heart because we know that that is true. In verse number 20, as it gets done in chapter 2, the Lord says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He said, not only shall the just live by faith, but the Lord, the reason we live by faith is because the Lord's on his throne. He's in his temple. We can trust him. And then we come to chapter 3, and we see an entirely different attitude from Habakkuk. It's not a, a cavalier kind of an attitude where he says, Lord, I, I wonder what you're going to do. You need to do something about these Israelites who are not living for you, these Jews that are, that are living wicked lives. And, uh, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to take care of them. The Chaldeans are going to come and, and take them into captivity. Oh, well, wait a minute, Lord. That's not what I meant. I don't want you to do that. They're worse off than the Israelites are. I want you to judge them, not the Chaldeans. I don't want them to be involved. And, uh, and so he, te- he says that, he, he, he contends with God about that, and then he says, now I'll just sit back and wait and see what God has to say to me. And the Lord speaks, and then we come to chapter 3 and verse 1, and his attitude has changed. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. And then he says this, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known, in wrath, remember mercy. That's the extent of his prayer. That's the whole thing. I've heard thy speech, O Lord, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, the Bible says that Habakkuk said, O Lord, I have heard thy speech. You understand that God speaks to man. God speaks to man. That's what all of this is about. From the beginning, after after man was created, man fell, God began speaking to man because he wants to draw man unto himself. He wants to redeem man. He wants to have a relationship with man. He doesn't want man to spend eternity paying for his sins He wants to redeem them so that they can spend eternity with him. And so he speaks to man, and he does so in a number of different ways. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God speaks to man through his creation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him, that is from God, God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, an unsaved man can see enough in creation to know that there is a God. You know, scientists who are supposed to be knowledgeable people, they study things and they've come to the conclusion that everything just kind of happened. That is the most ridiculous reasoning that I think I've ever, I've ever seen. The idea that things just happen, and you can use all kinds of, 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 of ridiculous illustrations to show how ridiculous that thinking is. The fact, the idea that, 
that man could have come about as a result of pure chance is crazy. Now, there, there are kids that uh, they do these things that where they, um, they try to, you know, they'll bounce a ball down the stairs and all kinds of stuff and then get it to go into a certain place or, or they'll stand behind the house and throw the ball and bounce it off a roof and then down off the concrete and then into a basket and those kinds of things. And, and, and they may do it 500 times and then one time it happens, they, oh, you know, and they film it if they can and put it on the internet and all that kind of stuff. You got these kids, these people and adults that do it too with a water bottle, and they flip them and see if they can get them to stand up on, on the end. Now, I've never tried that, but I've seen enough adults try it to know that it makes you look foolish when you do it. Uh, but, uh, but every now and then, they'll get one to stand up on their end, and they think, well, that's wonderful, you know. Those are very simple things, and, and, and even those are hard to get to happen just by chance. But you think about the complexity of a human body. Just take one little part of it, a joint in your finger. That, I mean, I mean, uh, they can do all kinds of things. Have you ever seen a robot that is really a really good robot and see how they move? They, you know, they're jerky and they move, they accomplish things, but they're jerky. No, they can't do that. A robot can't do that. I mean, they might get it to where they can, but, but you know, there's so many working parts, and it's and it's and it has to fit just exactly right. Take the eyeball. I can see. I understand that when I'm looking at it, it's actually upside down or something. It flips over in the. I don't understand it. I I, I think that's the way it is. But God made that. That's the only way. The only way that happens is if if somebody designs it and creates it. And it works out that way because God made it. It doesn't happen by accident. The Bible says that there are enough things in creation that you can understand by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Just being able to see it, you can understand it. And you know there's a God, and it's enough knowledge that the Bible says they are without excuse. No man could ever stand before God and say, Lord, you didn't give me an opportunity or you didn't show me. There's enough. God speaks to man in creation well enough that they have knowledge that will help them to see. Cornelius is a perfect example. He thought about the fact that there was a God and he desired to know God and God sent Peter to him to share with him the gospel. The Ethiopian eunuch was riding in his chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And the Lord sent Philip to him because he was seeking. He knew that there had to be a God and he's reading it. And Philip says, what are you reading? He said, well, it's the book of Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Except some man showed me. And he went up and he showed him the truth. The Ethiopian eunuch got saved and, and it was because he knew from what he saw that there was a God and he was seeking to know him. And I believe if, if a man has a desire in his heart to know God and is seeking God, I believe God will send him that knowledge. No man can, can, no man can stand before God and say, you didn't give me a chance. They're without excuse, the Bible says. God speaks to man through creation. 
God speaks to man through his word. We spend time reading God's word, studying God's word, memorizing God's word, listening to God's word, being taught or preached. God uses that to speak to our hearts. I can remember the time I went forward to service and and surrendered to do whatever God wanted me to do with my life. God spoke to my heart. I can remember times after that, numerous times after that, where God gave me direction and spoke to me because I was listening to somebody preach the Word of God, and God used that to to change my thinking and to to challenge me. And my life was, was redirected because of that. God speaks to us through His Word. And God speaks to us today through his spirit. The spirit of God speaks to us, those of us who know him, should be on a daily basis as we're sensitive to his presence in our lives. He speaks to us on a regular basis. Unsaved people, he speaks to them to convict them and to convince them and to to draw them to the Savior. So God speaks to man in many, many different ways. The Bible says of Habakkuk, he said, I have heard thy speech. The fact that God speaks, there's no question about that. God speaks always. But Habakkuk said, I have heard thy speech. The question is whether or not we're listening. You know, it's important if we're going to benefit from what God's trying to do in our lives, it's important for us to be listening. We have to hear his speech. We have the word of God. Do we spend time reading it, studying it? Do we spend time asking God to speak to us through his word? Do we spend time thinking about what God has done in our lives and communicating with him on a regular basis. God God speaks to us, and he wants to speak to us, and he wants us to understand. But we have to be willing and eager to hear. Um, When I was a teenager growing up, uh, I was in a large independent Baptist church. We had a huge bus ministry, and uh, I don't know, we had... I don't know. We had several hundred teenagers in the church, and we had youth activities all the time. We listened to people preach all the time. You know, we'd have revivals. We'd go to the revival. It was interesting to watch teenagers. Teenagers, when they come to to church, don't always come because they want to learn spiritual things. Sometimes they got other things on their mind. Sometimes they come and they do other things besides listening. I can remember sitting in a service at a youth conference with a bunch of kids that were doing anything but listening. They had all kinds of stuff going on in their minds, and they were, they were there. They were having a big time. came time for the invitation, and one of these kids sitting next to me over here said, uh, punched one of his buddies, said, hey, you want to go up there? You want to go up there? And they got up and went down. There wasn't, there wasn't anything spiritual about anything they were doing. They were just there. Now that's teenagers. Does that ever happen with adults? Does it ever be that an adult comes to church and doesn't listen? 
Or can it ever be that an adult maybe doesn't pay attention to his Bible like he should? God speaks. Now, it's interesting when you read this. Habakkuk said, Lord, I've heard thy speech. And then he said this, and I was afraid. I've heard thy speech, and I was afraid. Now, the speech that Habakkuk heard was very specific. And it dealt with God's judgment. It was an answer to the question he had asked. And, and, and the Lord answered it very specifically and said, yes, I am going to judge Israel. And he was a part of that group. Even though he was trying to help them to do the right thing, he's still a part of the group. He's going to be living there. He's going to be dealing with the judgment. And when he heard what the judgment was going to be, it kind of shook him a little bit. And the next thing he says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. So, Habakkuk is praying here very specifically for revival, is he not? Isn't that, isn't that his emphasis? He says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. We're praying for revival. We're going to have a revival meeting next week, a week from today. But having a revival meeting does not mean revival is going to come. Now let me talk about revival for just a minute. I, I, I saw a, uh, somebody posted a, a little short video clip on um, Facebook uh, recently, and I was looking at it, and it was a woman preacher. Now, I don't usually listen to women preachers, but I turned this on, and she was talking, and, and I didn't know for sure if she was a preacher. She was just telling a story, but she was behind the pulpit, and she was, so I guess that, anyway, the story she told was about a group of, 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 uh, of, of ministerial students who went on a trip to England. And while they were there, they visited the church where John Wesley preached. And they, they visited the church and they talked about his ministry and that kind of thing. Then they went to where he lived. And in that place where he lived, they took him in and showed him the study where he, where he, where he studied the Bible. And they, they looked at some of the book. They had some of the, the sermon notes there. Very interesting place. I would have liked to have gone and, and seen that. But his desk was there and all this stuff. And then when they got done with all of that, they took him up, took him up to his bedroom. And in the bedroom, they showed him all around. They took him over the back side of the bedroom of his bed, backside of his bed, and there beside his bed in the carpet were worn two, two spaces, and uh, somebody asked about him beside the bed, and the tour guide said those spaces there were made by John Wesley as he knelt by his bed for hours on end every day, praying that God would send revival to England or whatever, wherever it was. 
we hear about that kind of a story, and, uh, and then we hear about revivals that have taken place in Scotland and some in America, some of the, the great evangelists of years past who preached, and, and, uh, and citywide revivals took place and all that kind of stuff. And we think about it, and we think, well, the key to revival, the key to revival is spending hours kneeling by bed in prayer. And yet this prayer by Habakkuk is only, I think, 15 words long. And he says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Now, revival does not come in a package to nations. It doesn't work that way. You say, well, I can remember, you know, in England they had a big revival, in Scotland they had a big revival, in America, certain cities they had big revivals or whatever. But it wasn't because God sent a great revival to that whole city. Revival doesn't come to churches in a group. You know how revival comes? It comes to individuals. If a church, a large church, has a revival and it and it and it covers you know the whole the whole congregation, that means however many people are in that church, they all decided to get right with God. They all decided <coughs> to listen to God. And God did a work in their hearts individually. I can pray for revival and I can pray for the Lord to do a, a, a huge work in our, in our church. But praying for the Lord to do a great work in our church is not going to be what makes the difference. It's every individual, every person in here has to determine that by God's grace they're going to hear God's voice. They're going to listen to what God says. And I can promise you if you hear it, and understand it clearly and, and, and comprehend it completely, it will put an, a sense of fearful respect in your heart for God. And when that happens, your heart changes and your desire is to do His will more than anything else. And you're willing to yield yourself to Him, to submit yourself to Him. And that's how revival comes. Habakkuk said, I've heard thy speech, O Lord, and I was afraid. I mentioned this morning, Isaiah, the Bible, Isaiah talks about when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. You remember what happened when he saw the Lord and, and, and he, he fell on his feet, fell on his, fell on his knees, and he said, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see the Lord clearly. You hear from the Lord clearly. And your your attitude is going to be different. We have such a cavalier attitude toward our relationship with the Lord in America today that it's not even funny. I mean, most churches, they, they, they're... Uh, let, me, let me take that back. Not most churches. I can't say most churches. But there are many churches where... They have made God put him on the level with man. He's common. And they, and they treat him as if he's just a, a, their good buddy. 
you know, the, the, the old grandfather in heaven that's waiting for us to tell him what we want him to do, and then he's going to do it. Churches, pastors sometimes approach things with that kind of an attitude. Lord, this is what I need. I can remember reading one preacher who was praying about a, a, a conference that he was having, and he wrote down, he said, I've, I've got all these things, I've listed all these things that we need God to do, so this conference will be a great conference. Isn't that backwards? Is it our job to figure out what's supposed to be done and then tell God what He needs to do so that we can have a revival? That's not the way it works. That's exactly the opposite of what it's, it's supposed to be. God's not sitting in heaven waiting for us Give him instructions so that he'll know how to help us to have a revival. That's not it. Our job is to sit quietly and say, Lord, speak to my heart. You tell me what I need to do. I want to have a submissive heart. With Habakkuk, everything changed when he realized how serious God was about judging them. And the Bible says, that I, Habakkuk said, I've heard thy voice, so Lord, and I, I was afraid. And the first thing that came out of his mouth after that was, O oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Now think about that. In the midst of the years. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. He mentioned that twice. And then in the midst of the years make known. What years was he talking about? Well, it was very clear that the Chaldeans were going to take Israel captive. And they were going to be in captivity for a period of time. Now, I'm not sure that anyone can say exactly when this was. There were many captivities for the, the children of Israel. And I think the Chaldeans took them into captivity more than once. But in this case, in this case, whatever it was, in the midst of that time, I think he's thinking, you know, it's going to take a little while for God to get our attention. It's going to take a little while for them to realize, hey, this, this isn't good. The Chaldeans have come and we're in captivity and, and, uh, and the Lord's judging us. In the middle of all that, he said, Lord, in the middle of all of that, would you revive our work, revive your work? Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the future in America. I don't know what's going to happen in this election. I don't know what things are going to be like five years from now. I know this. I know that we in America have had unbelievable freedom to worship God as we see fit, unlike most of the rest of the world. We have been blessed unbelievably. I think sometimes we get it in our mind that we deserve this. And that it's, that we, we, we get a little, little bent out of shape at the idea that unsaved people may not like the standards that we believe, the, the positions we take. Somehow they look at it and they say, well, we don't want to abide by those rules anymore. America has for years been ruled by those who had a great deal of respect for the Christian, um, Christian mindset, the, the Judeo-Christian guidebook, you know, the rules that have been set. And they've been fighting against that for years. This whole thing with the Supreme Court is the result 
of a battle that's taking place because they want to get rid of those standards that we hold. And it's going to get worse. And so we've got, if we're not careful, we've got it in our mind that somehow we're being mistreated. That's not fair. They ought to, they ought to show respect for us. The truth is, our, our Christianity, the, the, the majority of the people in America that have been Christians for so long have created a restraining force that has kept those things in check. But it's changing. And we're getting into a position where our positions are not very popular anymore. And so how do we respond to that? We get offended and we think, how dare you treat us that way? We need to remember that we have had an unusually pleasant situation for all these years. The people in other parts of the world that are losing their lives because they are standing true to Christ today. We don't know anything about that. So how do we, how do we respond when that begins to happen? We have to remember that part of, part of our attitude has been over these years to be a little more cavalier about our freedom. And we have taken for granted the goodness that God has shown to us. And so it may be that we need, actually need revival in our hearts. Maybe we need to see God a little more clearly again. But Habakkuk said, I've heard your voice and I was afraid. Lord, revive us in the midst of what we're having to go through now because, because we're being taken into captivity because we haven't we haven't lived the way we should. I'm not saying that's what's happening in America. I'm just saying that there's a correlation there that ought to help us to know how we ought to respond. Lord, revive us. Revive our hearts. Deal with our hearts. And the only way that happens is if if God speaks to us and we hear him. Revive our hearts. Revive our uh, revive thy work in the midst of the years. And then he says, in the midst of the years, make known. Make known what? Make known your power. Make known your presence. Make known your holiness. Make known your will. Help us to know your will. And our spirit ought to be yielded. Lord, show us what you want us to do. When we pray, sometimes we pray, our prayers are centered on on what we want or what we need or all these different things. The truth is, our prayers ought to be prayers of submission, prayers of gratitude, prayers asking God to give us strength to accomplish his purpose for our life. He's promised that he'll meet every need that we have. He's promised that he'll give us the peace that we need to deal with any anxiety that we face. We just have to yield ourselves to him. And we are supposed to pray fervently. And we are supposed to pray earnestly. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's we take a cavalier attitude toward prayer. <clears throat> in the years, revive thy work in the midst of the years, the mirrors of midst of the years make known, and then this last statement, which I think is very, very important. 
and one that we need to be very careful about taking too lightly. He said, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. God's wrath falls when he judges. That's what was going on with Israel. They were going to face the wrath of God through the captivity of the Chaldeans because they had chosen to disregard what God had said to them. Now, things are different now because we are believers. I don't believe that God is going to pour out his wrath upon his children. I believe he will chasten his children, but I don't believe he'll pour pour out his wrath upon his children. He sent Christ to die to save us from his wrath. So we're not going to have to deal with his wrath, but there are others that will. And, 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 and it's not going to be a pretty, a pretty thing. I mean, we're not going to be in a situation where everything's just going to be lovely and wonderful and, uh, and hunky-dory. We're going to have situations where it's going to be more challenging to stand for your faith than it has ever been before. And we as believers need to be faithful. We need to be consistent. And we need to be conscious of God's presence. We'll go back to those three statements that we mentioned this morning. The just shall live by their faith. The Lord is in his temple. He's reigning on the throne. He hasn't gone anywhere. And at the end, he says, in spite of all the issues that are coming, he says, yet, in spite of that, yet, I will rejoice in my Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. So, God's grace is sufficient. He'll give us the strength we need, and we can rejoice in the midst of the difficulty. But the point here is revival comes when we listen to our God, when we hear his voice. There's not a question of whether God wants to speak to us. There's not a question of, of whether God has a message for us. And it's not, it's not for the church as a whole. It's for each individual. When, when we come to the service next Sunday, Dr. Comfort is here and he begins to speak. We need to put ourselves, each of us individually, in a little bubble and say, now, Lord, work inside of that bubble. I'm here and I want you to speak to my heart. I'm I'm yielding myself to you, Lord. Show me what needs to be changed in my life. Show me your will. Help me to know your plan and purpose for my life. And help me to be yielded to what you want to do. And when that happens, revival comes. It's our heart attitude, and it's whether or not we're willing to listen to God. Habakkuk began by saying, Lord, Israel needs judgment. Lord says, okay, I'm going to judge Israel. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. And when he got done giving him that vision, Isaiah said, whoa. Not Isaiah, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I don't know why I want to keep calling him Isaiah. But Habakkuk said, whoa. He said, whoa, that, that, I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. That doesn't, that, that, that makes me realize that God's serious about what he's doing. 
And he said, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the year. I need revival, Lord. Each of us needs to say that. We need to seek God's face and let God speak to our hearts and yield to his will. And when that's hap- when that happens, revival will come. And I'm going to come because Dr. Comfort comes and he preaches to us as a church or as a, church, as a body of believers. It's not going to come because he has powerful messages. It will come because his children listen to him speak to them individually, speak to their heart. And if I have a revival, my wife has a revival, and Betty has a revival, and the Worries have a revival, and every, everybody else in here, the Huff-Stetlers and the Williams and the Fulbrights and all the rest, everybody in here individually has a revival. We'll have a revival that is unlike any that you've ever seen because it happens to individuals. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed.